Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. Good morning. How are you guys? I'm, I am just, just broken by that. Just that truth that, that this is my confidence. It's not in me. It's not in you. It's in the fact that he's never failed. And, and I love the stories of what he's done, but only if they bring us to a place of expecting and faith in what he will do. If they become just stories that we tell, like folklore, of who God was, then that's amazing. But if they're not who he is and who he will be, then what does that do for me and you? The the stories of his faithfulness, and we read in the Bible, we talk to each other and we share these stories, and it's to encourage each other and to stir each other towards just this belief that he really is who he says he is, and he really will do what he says that he'll do. And just the simplicity of Jesus and the gospel is just, I don't know. Um, If you have your Bibles open to 2 Kings chapter 5, I don't know if I've ever preached on this. Story is a pretty famous story. Second Kings chapter five, uh, verse one says, "Now Naaman, captive of the army of the king of Aram, was a great man with his master and highly respected, because by him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man was also a valiant warrior, but he was a leper. Now the Arameans had gone out in bands and taken captive a little girl from the land of Israel, and she waited on Naaman's wife." She said to her mistress, I wish that my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, then he could cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus spoke the girl who is from the land of Israel. Then the king of Aram said, Go now, and I'll send a letter to the king of Israel. He departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand shekels of gold and ten changes of clothes. He brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, And now this letter comes to you. Behold, I have sent Naaman my servant to you, that you may cure him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive, that this man is sending word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? But consider now and see how he is seeking a quarrel against me. It happened when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent word to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Now let him come to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and his chariots and stood at the doorway of the house of Elisha. Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh will be restored to you, and you will be clean. But Naaman was furious and went away and said, Behold, I I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not the Abana and the Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. Then his servants came near and spoke to him, and said, My father, had the prophet told you to do something, some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, Wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the fresh flesh of a little child, and he was clean. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's alive. God, I thank you that, that this, this story of Naaman is, 
is in your word because you want to speak and teach through it. God, that through this we see more of you. And Father, I just ask that as I speak today that, that the reason that you put this in your word would come forth. Father, and that, that it, would, it would change the way we think. It would change the way that we live. It would change us as we're changed by your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, because it's in here for a reason. It's, it's not like God was like, I want to make the book of Kings, Second Kings, one chapter longer. Let's, let's, I don't know, let's throw in a story about Naaman. It, it, there's, there's, there's purpose and intention and everything. Every, it's a, Paul wrote that the word of God is, is, is good for correcting and reproving. And, um, so I, I, I was reading through this story, and I was, I was struck by a few things, and I just wanted to talk about them this morning. The, the first was this, that the person who, who starts this whole thing into action is a little slave girl who loves the person who's taken her into captivity. You understand it says that, the, that bands of raiders had gone out into the land of Israel and they had snatched people from their homes and taken them and forced them into slavery. This, this little girl was in that home because she was snatched from her home and forced into a life of slavery. Now, maybe Naaman was a, was, a, was a good master. Maybe he was kind to her. Maybe she was treated well. But the fact of the matter is, no matter how kind you're being treated by the person who enslaved you, they're still the person who enslaved you. Like, you're still there, not because you want to be there. You're there because they forced you to be there. They're forcing you to do things that you wouldn't voluntarily do. And, and, and it struck me that how many times you see that people who love God and who know God actually care about the people who are persecuting them more than they do their own life. She never said, if I could just get him to do this, then he would see that I am good or he would be so thankful to me that he would let. She had no agenda in this. It, she didn't even go to Naaman and say, uh, Master, I'll make a deal with you. Take me with you to my land, and I'll bring you to a man, and you'll be healed of leprosy. And if I do this, you have to let me go. There's no agenda in her heart. And, and, and who would have thought, like, who would have judged her for that? Like, who would have said, wow, that was, a, that was an evil thing for her to do? Nobody would have said that. But the point is, like, she's not thinking about herself. She's in slavery. She sees the man who has enslaved her, and she thinks, if he could just get to the prophet, I know God would heal him. But be careful that we never attach motive to loving you know, because you read these verses like, you know, if you love your enemies, it's like heaping coals on their head. If you've ever loved them to heap coals on their head, you haven't loved them and it hasn't heaped coals. <laughs> if you've ever given to get, you're probably not doing it out of love. Even though there's a promise that says, given it shall be given unto you. Because while man's busy looking at the outside, God's looking at the heart. And so, so this slave girl sees Naaman. And, and the other thing that stood out to me actually just now as I was reading this is that Naaman was a leper, but yet he wasn't isolated and cast aside by the people. He was actually still a leader and a warrior in the army. How sad it would be if the, the people of God were the only ones that forced people that had an issue go live by themselves and be outcast from the rest of society. Just a side note. 
I know that's not for anybody in here, but maybe some podcasters have been tempted to want to banish people who have an issue rather than let them be part of the family and trust that maybe they actually have the answer. And so this little girl goes to to Naaman and says that. It's kind of like Elijah when he has the showdown with the prophets of Baal, right? He's being hunted by Ahab. He's running for his life. He's like, why does this man want to kill me? He's got an evil wife, and Ahab is wicked, and they want to kill Elijah, and they're hunting him, and, and he's hiding. And, and finally, he goes, and he shows himself to, to the king, and he says, here I am, and he calls the prophets, and they do their thing, and he calls down fire and slays them. And the man who is responsible for persecuting him is standing on the mountain with him, having just witnessed Elijah do all this thing, and Elijah has a sword in his hand because he's just chopped apart the prophets of Baal. And he looks at the king, the evil, wicked king, who has pursued him and chased him and made his life miserable, and says, King, there's a storm coming. You better get going. He doesn't withhold the information he has because, well, he deserves to stay up here and die because of how he's treated me or because I don't see the fruit in his life that I think that I should. I'm going to withhold this from him. He just looks at him out of love and says, Hey, there's a storm coming. You better get down off the mountain. This little girl doesn't look at the man and say, well, I guess that serves you right. Maybe if you'd stop going and snatching little girls from their homes, maybe you wouldn't have leprosy. Oh, you think you're suffering? Imagine how I'm suffering. At least when you come home at night, you see your wife and kids. I don't even get to see my family, and I'm having to do things that I don't want to do because you snatch. She doesn't have that in her heart. She just has love for him. And says, oh, I wish my master could just go and be healed. And so, Naaman hears what the little girl says, goes to the king, and he says to the king, he says, this is what this little servant girl said. And at this point, he's desperate. Like, he'll do whatever it takes. Like, you know, he's going on the word of a little girl that's a servant in his home, but, but he's got leprosy. It's, it's incurable. It's, it's getting worse and worse. Leprosy doesn't get better. It doesn't go into remission. It just keeps advancing and getting worse and worse. The thing in your life that, you don't, that, that Jesus died for you to be free from doesn't go into remission. It doesn't go away on its own. It gets worse and worse until it's actually dealt with. And he says, he says I know where this ends, and I don't want it to end there. So, so if this little girl thinks there's someone in Israel that can heal me, I'll go to Israel, and I'll see if I can be healed. And so he goes to the king, and the king says, well, I'll tell you what I'll do. I will write you a letter, and I'm going to give you all this stuff so you can go there. Because the world always thinks you have to buy, or you have to earn or you have to give something in order to receive something. He, he can't even think that possibly Elijah would, out of love for this man, pray and see him be healed. So he gives him this stuff, and, and, and he doesn't go to the prophet, even though that's what the little girl said to do. Why? Because he's a mighty man, and mighty men go to mighty men. Men who have the favor of a king go and see king. Men who are used to walking into palaces, walk into palaces. So he goes to see the king. And the king's response is pretty interesting. He says, what am I, God? No, but you're supposed to know him. So 
empathy. Well, I'm not Jesus. No, you may not be Jesus, but you're the closest thing to him on this earth, according to him, because as the Father sent me into the world, so I also send you. Well, I'm not God. No, you're not God, but he lives inside of you. This is not like my, those statements aren't like my theology. They'd be cool, you know, like, hey, you know, it'd be a great idea. Let's, let's say that God lives inside. He said this, like this was his idea. This is why Jesus died, was so that we could be set free from who we were and become who we were always meant to be, the representation of the Father on this earth so that the glory of God could cover the earth as the waters do the sea. He said, as the Father sends me into the world, so I also send you. So no, you're not Jesus, but you're the closest thing that that person who has an incurable disease that they've tried to be free from is ever going to talk to. You're the closest thing to Jesus that they're ever going to talk to until they know him for themselves. And how bad would it be if they came to you with this thing and you looked at them and said, well, I'm not God. Well, no, you're not, but you know him. He lives inside of you. The king goes, Because he's thinking for himself. Oh, I know what's going on here. He's come to ask me something that's impossible. So that when I refuse to do it because I can't, he can start a fight with me. They want to invade and they're looking for a reason. He's trying to pick a fight. Why? Because all he can think about is protecting his kingdom rather than loving the person that's in front of him. Because he's more concerned with protecting what's his than he is with seeing the person who's in front of him be set free and be healed from the person, uh, from the thing that's covering their body and and destroying their life. And and he can't even look and see the man for what he is because he's so busy thinking about what could possibly be taken from him or what could possibly be wrong. It's like Dylan just said a second ago, if, if we're so concerned about what could possibly go wrong with us that we aren't willing to reach out and touch somebody, then we have to wonder if we really believe that greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Listen, I'm not, I'm not saying go, you know, go, go, go lick disease you know, or, or go put God to the test. You know, it says not to do that except for in giving. But, you know, and, and don't be, listen, I, I don't want to say this too. When people stand up here and say things, or when you have conversations with people and they say things and they share their conviction, and, and, and your faith isn't at that point, don't, don't condemn yourself for your faith not being at that point, and don't look at them and find, try to find something wrong with them so that you can justify who they aren't so that you feel better about where your faith... Just, just ask God, God, you know, like, I believe that's not just for this person or for that person. Would you grow me in that? Don't be condemned for where you're not. Always see it for what it is. It's an invitation that there's more. Don't let... Don't, don't let Seeing something in someone's life be a reason that you have to look for something wrong with their life so that you can justify, well, yeah, but I do this. Come on, that's not what life is about. We're not supposed to be trying to keep score. We're trying to figure out who's a better Christian. We're trying to look more like him. So, luckily, there's Elijah. You notice that the slave girl, what she says, she says, I wish that my master were with the prophet who's in Samaria. Then he would cure him of his leprosy. She's so confident that this man... Because, see, the word of the Lord wasn't accessible to everybody back then. It had to come to somebody, and then they were a prophet, and it was known that they actually carry the word of the Lord. 
So there was a reason this little slave girl didn't think that she could, but thought that the person who carried the word of the Lord had what was necessary to see this man healed. It's a good thing that we're not like the slave girl when we see something wrong, think, man, I I wish that this person knew this person. Oh, I wish so-and-so was here. Come on, you have the word of the Lord living inside of you because he is the word. So the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the word. So it says, it's no longer I who lives, but he who lives, who is he? The word that lives in me. So you actually have the word of the Lord. It's now come to you like the word of the Lord would have came to a prophet. There should never be a time like the slave girl where we look at a situation and say, I wish they knew someone that knew the word of the Lord. Not when we can know him. You guys are quiet this morning. I I, I, I did stand up, turn around, and like jump up and down for a second and sit back down or something. Listen, this is this is not to point like where we're not. This is the challenges and say, listen, this is what's available to us through the cross, through the death and the resurrection of Jesus, through the infilling and indwelling of the Spirit of God. The word of the Lord has come to you. It's within you. It's drawn near to you. Never find yourself in a situation wishing that so-and-so was there. They have nothing that you don't have. They may believe something you don't believe. And if they believe something that you don't believe, then you have to ask yourself, why don't I believe? Because God's not in heaven handing out faith in measures and saying, well, uh, you know, I want you to believe this. You, I don't ever want you to believe that. But at least you know him. And he believes that's good enough for both of you because now you just send people to him. That's not the way it's supposed to work in the kingdom. Every person is supposed to be a carrier of the gospel of reconciliation of Jesus Christ. Every person is supposed to believe that the answer to everything is Jesus. And luckily for you, I carry that answer inside of me. He lives in me. Come on. We, like, are, why are we scrambling for a phone to call so-and-so when something happens when we carry the thing that we hope so-and-so carries? We've been so fooled sometimes into thinking that like there's this measure that someone has that I don't have. And listen, we all walk in different giftings, but I promise you, if there's a leper standing in front of you, you carry what's necessary if the word of God dwells inside of you because he is the answer to everything. And so this, this little slave girl, she realizes like I don't have it, but he does. And if he would go there. So Naaman goes to the king and the king says, oh my God, you... I can't do this. This is the leader of the kingdom of God on earth. Luckily, there's a man who knows God in the land who says, wait, why are you tearing your clothes? Send them to me. And he'll know there's a prophet in the land. It sounds so cocky, right? Like, think about this. Elisha walks up to the king and says, look, why are you tearing your clothes? Oh, you're worried about him? What, leprosy? Send him to me. You bring him to me, and then he'll know there's a prophet in the land. And it sounds cocky, except for the, when he says he'll know there's a prophet in the land, what he's saying is, send him to me, and then he'll see that there's a God in Israel, and there's someone in Israel who knows him. There's someone in Israel that carries the word of God. That's what he's saying. He's not boasting in himself. He's saying he's going to walk away knowing there's somebody in Israel that knows who God is. 
And if I run into someone who knows God, the reaction and the response when I interact with them should be that I come away impressed with their God. And we'll, you know, if you follow the story to the end, you would see that Naaman actually walks away saying, now I believe that the God of Israel is the God, the only God. Why? Because he met someone who knew him, who was bold enough to say, the one that I know is bigger than the problem that you carry. Come on, this should excite us every day that you get up with answers. You're not, you're not walking around like we're so aware of problems. You walk around with a bunch of answers. And when you run into a problem, you seek him for the answer because it's already been given. When someone asks how you're doing, if your answer is the three biggest problems that you're facing in your life, that means you, listen, we laugh. You're laughing, I promise you. Ask people how they're doing and what comes out of their mouth will a lot of times be the biggest problem that they're facing, proving that they're more aware of the issue than the one who came to die and solve the issue. I mean, not, not, not people in this room. <laughs> not us, not Christians. Um, I mean, <laughs> and not people who go to outreach church. It's the podcasters. They sometimes are more aware of their problems. Come on, no, seriously. Here's the thing. Even if what comes out of our mouth is good, what's actually in our heart when someone says, how are you doing? Because you can look at them and say, man, I'm doing so good. And you can have the right answer. I'm doing awesome. But what's really going on in your heart? And when someone asks you and it forces you to actually think about and recognize how you're doing, if what you're aware of, no matter what comes out of your mouth, is the problem or the issue or the person or the relationship or the sin or this, or if it's anything but, how am I doing? I have a Father in heaven who loves me, he called. I'm not saying this has to come. Like, you don't have to give some religious answer. Well, I have a father in heaven who loves me. He sent his son to die upon a cross, and he took all of my sins, and now I'm born again, and I'm a, I am a joint heir with I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is just what's inside of you that comes into your awareness when you ask yourself, how am I doing? If it's not in that direction, if you don't start thinking about the goodness of the Father, then you probably walk around most of the time more aware of what's wrong than what's right. That was popular. <laughs> How to win friends and influence people. So Naaman hears this and thinks, oh, prophet. Okay. And he, <clears throat> he builds this idea in his head of what going to see the prophet will look like. We know that because his response. So he, he goes to see Elisha. And Elisha sends a messenger to him and says, go and wash in the Jordan seven times. Your flesh will be restored to you and you'll be clean. So the word of the Lord, because prophets spoke what? The word of God, Right? The word of God. That's what they carried. That's what came to them. And then they were recognized as a prophet. So when they speak these things, it's not like Elisha went in and he had this wheel that he rolled and it was like, you know, put mud in their eyes, wash in the river, show yourself to the priest, perform an offering. No, it was he sought the Lord and the word of the Lord for Naaman's life was go and wash in the Jordan River seven times. But Elisha doesn't go and tell him this. He sends a messenger 
And so, so here is this man who's traveled all this great distance. He wants to be free from this thing that genuinely is destroying his life. And he gets the word of God for his life. The word of God comes to him and says, go wash in the Jordan River seven times. So he eagerly, with joy, goes and jumps in the river seven times and is healed. No, it says he became furious. You ever, you ever hear someone tell you what's wrong? Give them the answer from the word of God and they actually become angry? He didn't just get angry. He said he became furious. Probably a few reasons. One, he's probably pretty offended that the prophet himself didn't come out. Because he answers, when he talks about it, he says, I thought the prophet would come and do and say. So he's got this idea of what it's going to look like for God to meet with him, for God to come, for this, this, this prophet to come. And the prophet doesn't come. He just gives the word to a messenger, and the messenger, a little servant, comes and meets him at the door and says, hey, go and, go, and, go and wash yourself seven times in the river, and you'll be healed. And he's offended because he's so caught up in the fact that the person who delivered the message wasn't the prophet, probably, that he can't even hear that the truth is coming out of his mouth. doesn't matter who said it. It's the truth that matters. We get so caught up sometimes in the messengers. Sometimes God will hide a message that we need inside of someone that we don't esteem because he wants to offend our minds so he can expose what's in our hearts. And we're so busy getting caught up in the person that's delivering the message that we can't even see that he's just a messenger for the one who really is trying to heal us. Amen. By the mouth of babes. I just think every time they do that in church, they're amening. You think about that. Are you okay if it's not the prophet that gives you the word that God wants you to have? Are you okay if it's someone, when you look at them, that you see what's wrong with them? And you see that they're not perfect. Are you okay saying, you know, that they may not have everything together, but I know that they're speaking on behalf of the Lord? Because it's his truth that matters, not whose mouth it comes from. Paul said, we beg as though God himself pleads through us, be reconciled to Christ. He's saying when we open our mouths and speak, it's as if God himself is speaking through us. That means my obedience to what's being spoken is obedience to the Lord, not to the person speaking it. That's good. So he gets in this rage, and he's furious. He goes away. He's going to leave. You travel all this way. You get to the man that the servant girl told you to start with in the beginning. She never said, go to a king. Why do you go to a king? Because people are always wanting to go to a person they esteem. You always want to find the person of highest pecking order and try to get favor with them first. That's where you start, and then you make your way down to this person over here. And suddenly, you've gone from standing in front of a king to standing in front of the messenger of the prophet, a servant. You're a man who commands servants, and they go and do what you say to do. And now you're standing in front of one who's commanding you to do something. And your heart's so offended because of who's saying it that you can't even take the truth and actually do it and be healed. This is what was going to happen. It says he went away furious. He's furious. He's just heard the word of God. And he says, behold, I thought 
He will surely come out to me. See, here's this thing. We get this idea in our head of what it's going to look like for God to speak to us. And now all of a sudden we demand that God fill our idea of what it's going to look like. And when God doesn't fulfill it the way we thought that he would, we actually become angry. And we don't even realize that the one we're angry at is God because he's the one who actually is doing this. I thought... I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of his God. He had this big production in mind of what it was going to look like for him to be healed. He built up this moment. Right? He built up this moment in his mind. This is what it will look like for me to be healed. This is how it's going to happen. The prophet himself is going to come out. He's going to stand before me. He's going to call upon the name of his God. He's going to wave his hand over and I'll be healed of leprosy. He builds up this production and God says, I don't have any interest in meeting what you think I should do to see you be healed. I just want you to be healed. I don't want your trust to be in a moment or in a production. I want it to be in me and that your obedience is what brought you to this place. I want you to trust me no matter who I speak through or what I call you to do. That's why he says in the Word, submit yourselves one to another. Why? Because he's inside of every person. If we only submit ourselves to certain people, there's parts of God we're not submitting to by not being submitted to each other. I don't know, that just came to me in the moment. I'm going to have a lot of this stuff does. You know, I love preparing a message, and I love getting up here and just giving him free reign, saying, Lord, whatever it is. It's the most exciting thing in the world to me to hear truth come from my mouth that I know came from him. If we don't submit ourselves one to another, how can we say we're fully submitted to him who asked us to submit ourselves one to another. Well, I'm submitted to God. Well, that's cool, but he told you to submit yourselves one to another. So are you really? Or are you submitted to God when it's a king? Or a prophet? When they have importance and significance, is it easy to submit? But when it's a little messenger, that could just as easily be a servant in your house. How submitted are you? When it's not someone that you esteem that doesn't have a big name that can do nothing for you, how submitted are you? Well, I know God knows my heart. He does know your heart. And he's also asked you to submit one to another. And he knows where you're at in your heart with your submission one to another. You can stand here all day and say, I'm submitted to, to one another with your mouth. He talked about the Pharisees doing it. Listen, somebody, you need to hear this. Listen to me because this is coming really strong to me. He talked about the Pharisees. He said, with their mouths, their lips, they honor me, but with their hearts, they're far from me. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, what they say sounds right, but it's their heart that matters to me. And I hear what they're saying, but I see where their heart is at. And I don't care what they say because I see their heart. You can tell me you're submitted all you want. If in your heart you're not, you're not. And if you're not submitting to what I'm asking you to do by submitting one to another, he says, he says there's two different places he tells us to submit. He says, submit to your leaders. Right? Submit yourself to your leaders, for they watch over you as those who will give account to your souls. Don't make it hard on them. In other words, don't be a pain. Don't be a pest. That's what he said. You read in the original language, and he says, listen, don't, just don't, don't make it harder for them. And then he says, later on, there's another place to submit yourselves one to another. 
So we're called to submit to the leadership he places in our lives, and we're called to submit to the people he places us in relationship with. And Naaman, like so many people, finds it easy to go to a king and would have done whatever the king asked him to do, probably. And if the prophet would have come and done what he thought the prophet should do, that would have been okay, too. But now here's a messenger telling him to go wash in a dirty river. He says, he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of his, the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. And he says this, are not Abaddon and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? See, now he's reasoning. Now he's reasoning and he's using logic and he's trying to determine whether the word of the Lord is actually something he should follow and submit to by comparing and contrasting it with the wisdom of this world. He says, so you're telling me that I have to do this in this dirty river, the Jordan. We have two rivers in my kingdom. Couldn't I have just jumped into one of those rivers and been cleansed? See, there's two kingdoms in this world. There's the kingdom of God and there's the kingdom of this world. And, and the wisdom that comes from the kingdom of God is peaceable and lovely and it's godly. The one that comes from this world is sensual. It's earthly. It's actually demonic. The wisdom that we're submitting our lives to is either from God or demonic. James says that. I know that sounds harsh, but split it down the middle and that's what James says. He says one is this and the other is that. And he doesn't say and there's a third that's kind of neutral. I'm not saying don't use your brain and, and the, the ability that God's given you, but when the ability that God has given you to think places you in a place where you're using logic and reason and thinking with the kingdom of the, of the world that you were called out of to talk yourself out of the thing that you're being asked to do in this kingdom that you're now in, you probably should abandon your logic, your reasoning, and your thinking because if what could heal you was available to you there, you wouldn't need to come here. If I'm Elijah, I'd stand there and look at him and say, so you're telling me you think the answer is in, your, in that kingdom over there? How's that working for you? Why are you here with leprosy? If the answer was freely flowing in the land you came from. You get called out of one kingdom and placed into the other. The last thing you need to do is start using the logic and reason of the other to try to be disobedient to the command to the word of God in this one. Then Naaman's angry too because it just seems so simple. I talk to people sometimes and they, they, they tell me, they say, you, you seem like you have the same answer for everything. I do, because I can't find another one in the Word. If I could, I'd probably be inclined to give one of those. Because the goal of the Christian life, now this is assuming we're talking to people who are born again and would say, I'm following Jesus, is to follow Jesus. It's not to go to church. That's awesome. Go to church. Jesus went to church. It's, 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 but it's not contained in going to church. It's not contained in singing worship songs. It's not contained in simply reading the Bible. All those things are amazing and things that if you're following Jesus, you should find yourself doing on a regular basis. But this I can tell you, following him is very simple to find in the Bible, and it's not complicated. And Naaman wanted something hard and complicated because he's the kind of person that can't believe it could be that simple. 
Jesus said, if any man would come after me, he must first deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. It's not, it's, it's not as complicated as we make it. But he's going to leave because what's asked of him offends his mind and seems too simple. And he's getting ready to leave. And luckily, he surrounded himself with people who think clearly when he's not. This is why the Bible talks a lot about the company that you keep and the people that you surround yourself with and the voices that they have into your life. This is why right here, because he's getting ready to leave and go back to his hometown, his homeland, a leper. He's going to go back with the disease he came with, even though he stood feet from the answer. You know how frustrating it is when you're talking to someone and they're staring the answer in the face. It's right in front of them and it's so simple. And their minds on the kingdom they came from. And they're offended because it doesn't look like what they thought it would look like. And there's not a huge production involved. There's not this moment where the man waves his hand and calls on the Lord and does a listen, if God chooses to heal you in that way, that's awesome. But if not, don't put your hope in something that he did before, thinking that's the only way he can do it again. Otherwise, you'll build up an expectancy of what it looks like, and you'll miss him standing in front of you. Then his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, had the prophet told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more than when he says to you, wash and be clean, if it was hard? Come to him and say, look, if, if, if the servant would have came to him and said, okay, here's what I need. This is a tough case because everybody wants to believe that their situation is the hardest. It's true. You want people to listen to what you're saying? Tell them that what they're dealing with is the hardest thing in the world to deal with and suddenly you have their attention because you've just confirmed the voice that's been telling that over and over and over again. So if he would have come out and said, you know, this is the worst disease. This is the hardest and requires the most. I'm going to need the blood of a lion the horn of an elephant, and the tooth of a crocodile that you slain with your own hands. I want to believe that he would have barely got the word hands out of his mouth and Naaman would have been in his chariot heading out to find a lion, a crocodile. Listen, I'm serious. Because we want something to do. And we want it to be something that we think fits what we're dealing with. You go jump in a dirty river seven times, He's not even going to do it. The servant says, listen, if you'd asked you some great thing, listen, if I came to you and I told you that the answer for what you're dealing with was, you, I need you to climb to the top of Paris Mountain without your feet ever touching a road. And once you get there, I need you to find this eagle that made a nest and pick a feather and bring it back. And once you come back with that feather, then I'll pray and you'll be healed. People would be climbing Paris Mountain, but you look at them and you say, here's the answer, real simple. Lay your life down. Stop making it all about you and actually love. And I promise you, every bit of the thing that you're dealing with will be gone. And they look at you like a cow looking at a new gate. And they walk away, sometimes furious, sometimes upset, sometimes sad, or sometimes just saying, well, you don't understand because you've never. When the Word of God speaks so clearly, it's unbelievable how simple it is. We're going to take communion in a second. I, I, I'm going to, yeah, we have time. all right, I'm going to close up with this. You guys are going to have to boogie when you get out of here because second service is going to be coming, okay? But he's got people around him that love him enough to say, maybe you should just do what God said. I don't know, here's a crazy thought. 
what you've been doing hasn't worked. You obviously don't know what to do because if you did, you wouldn't be here standing in front of the house of this prophet of a God that you don't serve. So as you're here, maybe you ought to just do what God said. Like we, we should surround ourselves with people that look at us and say, hey, here's something you should do. Why not just try what he said? Here's a, here's a crazy idea. Why not just do what he said? If the goal of our instruction is love from a pure conscience and good heart, If we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory and God is love. The greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. If it really, if that really is true, if that really is the word of God to you, to me. And there's a clear definition of love. So he's not ambiguous. It'd be one thing if he said Love, become love, the goal is love, and you're being transformed into love, but you have no idea what love looks like, well, then that would be okay to be ambiguous and say, well, I'm not sure, I just, no, there's a real clear definition. We talked about this last week, and forgive me if I'm repeating things from last week now, but it's so simple. It's not hard. Love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. If I'm not being patient, if I'm not being kind, and if I'm jealous, I'm not walking in love. Love doesn't brag and is not arrogant if I'm going around boastful and being arrogant. See, Elijah's not being arrogant in himself. Why? Because he's saying, he'll know there's someone here that knows God. That's all I want when people meet me is to say someone knows God. I don't want them to say someone knows so much. Because then their faith is in what I know. And they're impressed with my intelligence. I want them to say He knows God. He's not boastful and arrogant. Does not act becoming, unbecoming. Does not seek its own. If I'm seeking after my own, it's not love. I know that sounds so ridiculously simple, but you would be amazed if we would actually filter our lives through this thing, how little of it we could take with us. This, this, this right here is this most amazing filter that we can run our lives through, and you'd be amazed if we would actually process our lives through that filter, how very little we would be standing with at the end of it. And it's the simplest way to live. If I get up in the morning and I'm not seeking after my own, then nobody can disappoint me and nothing can go wrong because I didn't wake up in the morning for me. If I wake up in the morning seeking after my own and trying to build my own kingdom and worried about how I can get what I want and what I deserve and what's mine and what I should have, then I can be sorely disappointed if people don't respond the way that I think that they should. Like, it's, it's like he's saying, listen, just go, just go jump in the river seven times. It, it, just become love. I'll transform you into it. All you have to do is just be obedient. Just say yes. And I'll show you what it looks like so that you can actually have a gauge to say, am I becoming this thing? Doesn't take into account a wrong suffered. If I'm walking around keeping score, I'm not walking in love.
Not the love that's listed here. I can walk in lust. I can walk in desire. I can walk in manipulation where we say we love each other, but really what it is is I know what you want, so I give it to you because I get what I want from you, and you know what I want, so you give it to me, so you get what you want from me, but that's not love. I can hold on to these things and and walk in those, but I can't hold on to these things and walk in love. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never fails. If it's ever failed, it either wasn't love or your idea of success wasn't his. So I'll stand before you as just the the lowly messenger, not the prophet, not the king. I'll give you the word of the Lord. That thing that you want to be free from, that thing that torments you, that thing that the wisdom of the world can't help, there's a simple answer. Surrender your life. Yield to him. Let him transform you from glory to glory into the image of his son who we love. And along the way, if you want to know if you're actually following him, you'll know. You won't need a verse, but it's, it's a good reminder just to go and check every now and then and put your name in there. See if you can say it with a straight face. Roy is patient, Roy is kind, Roy is not jealous. Roy doesn't brag, he's not arrogant, doesn't act unbecomingly. He doesn't seek after his own. He's not provoked. If we can get through that list with a straight face, that's not saying ever. That's saying, what does my life look like? Because there's grace when we miss these things. There's grace when we miss it. But grace is to transform you to that place of saying, I can live better than that because Jesus died for me to live and be set free from those things. Grace is not to say, well, I got six out of ten. So I'm doing better than him because he's only got four. No, grace comes and says, you know, I died for that one too. I died for that one too. You know, I'm capable of transforming you to where that's true about you. That's what grace does comes along and says, I don't condemn you. I'll pick you up. Now go and don't be like that anymore. Why? Because I've come. How could Jesus say to the woman who was caught in adultery, go and sin no more? Because he came. He can't say that before he comes. But once he comes, once she meets him, he says, I don't condemn you. Now go and live different. Why? Because he came. He expected him coming would make a difference. He's pretty confident in who he is. And what he does, if someone would just yield. So God, I just thank you for this. I thank you, Father, that this this simple answer is staring in the face of everyone and calling us all into the water of your word. I thank you, God, that if there's any area of our lives where we're naming, where we're staring at the truth, but offended by how it came, or what it looks like, or the simplicity of it, that we would repent be washed by your word.
I ask God that we would never let our idea of what it looks like or our self-importance and who we think we owes us to be the one that speaks to us would ever keep us from missing what you're speaking. That we would value the messenger as highly as the king because we value you, not the person you choose to speak through. Thank you for that, God. In Jesus' name, amen.